When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah. This is such a pleasure. I got my guy up here. Aisha Rob Lakeley has come in now and you're in the podcast world. And yes. So you have your own little network going on. How are you doing, first of all, you and your family? We're good, man. We're good. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Cedric. And you know what the best part about this right now, Cedric? You and I are together, and it ain't Black History Month. <laughs> well, it's coming soon, bro. You know, <laughs> well, you know what? It actually is Black History Month because Trump is gone. Oh, so like it's Black History Month. Um, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you've been doing the pandemic, you know, what you've seen. I talked to your guy for a while and, uh, you know, he just who was down in the bubble and Jerry Washburn just told me all kind of great things about how the bubble life, your life has changed because you've moved on from our from our former state, from a former station. Yeah, yeah, things are definitely different, and, and I'm kind of in this new normal uh, outside of the bubble in the pandemic and all that, and it's it's been really amazing. Uh, there, there's a, a couple of different things I'm in the process of working with. Obviously, joining the CLSN Media family is, is one of those things which I'm really excited about. The podcast that you referenced to, uh, the A-List with myself and Kwani A. Lunas, uh, I'm really excited about that because, you know, as you know better than anyone I, I i tend to flap my gums a lot i got a lot to say and this podcast is going to allow a lot of those conversations that i've had off to the side or in the corner of the of the, of the cafeteria at the celtics game to actually come to life uh it will make some people uncomfortable uh it will make some people laugh but my goal with that with the podcast is to educate enlighten and hopefully entertain as we go through this journey and i think we'll do that and and it seems that you know we're starting to get a, a nice a uh, robust start to things, uh, you know, kicking things off today. And at some point, you know, Cedric, you and I, we're going to get together and do, and do our thing because uh, that's what we do. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm excited about it. There's some other projects I'm working on that I'll, I can get into a little bit later on uh, in early 2021 that are really, really just, for me, bucket list type things that, you know, you always wanted to do and you never really had the opportunity to do it and you're doing one of those things for me is teaching. Uh, I've always wanted to teach at the college level and I'm doing that right now at Boston University, representing my, representing my team. Uh, and so again, this, there's a lot of, this is just an exciting time for me. And that's really as tough as the pandemic has been for so many of us, uh, for, for folks like myself, it has been almost reinvigorating, uh, allowing me to try some things and, and look in some places to advance my career and to things I want to do. Uh, and not have a lot of the layers to kind of go through and, and, and frankly, have the time to do now. That's one of the things I, I said. I think there was, there was a, a, a long line that they wanted me to write about you. And I said, truly, my friend, my brother, but what he's going to do, he's going to shed light on the truth. 
And I think that's in, in today's world, that's all you want. If, if somebody comes up to you and tells you the truth, what more do you want right now? Right. You know, because when you get the truth told to you, it's like, okay, well, now I can deal with everything else. I don't have to deal with this is the way it is and this is how the world is going. Right. Right. And, and we, we get into those conversations with our very first episode. We talked to Mark Spears, who was down in a bubble as well. And him and I, we, we had a conversation about just how athletes are going to utilize that platform that was in a very confined space. How are they going to do that going forward? Uh, we also talked about the Lakers and, and he had some very interesting things to say about how they won their title and how, frankly, you know, the path that they took, even though people talk about how challenging it was to win it in a bubble, he had some insight that shows a different side of that. And we, <laughs> I hate them. Oh, I'm sorry. Did they, they come across? I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> bad. Damn. You got exactly. me all, when people get all excited. I just have my best friend whose birthday is today. Uh, one of my line brothers. Mm-hmm. And he, he said his birthday was today. He was telling me, he said, well, how is it going to be now that the Lakers, that the Clippers are going to have to watch the Lakers get their championship rings? I said, that won't happen. I said, them dudes will be back in the locker room someplace having some tea or having some sandwiches. Ain't nobody going to watch that. Right. And even if they could watch that, Cedric, like the Clippers don't know what that's like. That's all they've ever done. Watch other teams win championships because they don't do it. So ain't nothing changed there. Nah. Status quo. I, I feel that, you know, with you, what you're going to get is some, again, some of those things that we didn't know about. Some of those Danny Ainge stories that you had on the side that you couldn't talk about or some things you might have talked with the owners uh, of the, or excuse me, the governors of the Celtics that you can now kind of get off your, get out off your chest. I think that's one of the things that I loved about doing the podcast, just some of the things that I wanted to say, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you kind of reluctant and, and right. still me, you know, I still hold back a little bit because, you know, I'm kind of working for the Celtics, but you, this definitely has to be so much more freedom for you. Oh my God, it is. It is. I mean, I, I think about just, you know, just so many crazy stories, you know, I mean, like, like, you know, Brad Stevens and when he was hired and, and how, you know, and I haven't talked about this before, but there was another college coach that was on the Celtics radar at that time that they, he wasn't the guy they wanted, but he was a guy that was in the conversation to the point where that guy actually started soliciting other assistant coaches because he thought he was going to get that job in Boston, which he was not. Uh, and we'll get into that at some point in the podcast. I was going to say, you got me right now. I'm ready to look at your next podcast because I want to know when that comes up. We and, and that's really what this is about, Seth. I mean, it, it's as you pointed out, it's shedding light on a lot of stories that just haven't been told before, that we now have a platform to do that. And having Kwani Lunas in the mix as well, it, it gives us a very fresh, unique perspective on a lot of issues that are going on right now in the NBA that we may not necessarily be locking in on, uh, that she being in, in that demographic age-wise and gender-wise has a much more, uh, her antennas are a little bit higher up in the, in the stratosphere on some of that stuff. Well, mine. What's the differences that you say that you look at between yourself and her? What, first of all, what is your age now, if I can ask you that? Oh, I'm, I'm late 40s. Okay, you're late 40s, and she is? Mid-20s. Mid-20s. So big difference, almost because you, you have a child that is in his 20s, right? So yeah. it's really going to be interesting. Well, in, in a lot of ways, you know, talking with her, in a lot of ways, is some, some of the conversations I have with my son 
who uh, he actually he's in the communications game. He does audio podcasting. Uh, and so we talk a lot about sports and, and a lot of the conversations are very similar to what I have with Kwani, except Kwani got a little bit more attitude, got a little more edge. And I'm OK with that uh, because, you know, I will push back. And she'll push back just as hard. And you need that uh, to have, I, I think, engaging conversation. But you're right. I mean, the, the fact that we're part of two different generations, if you will, uh, we have two very different and unique lenses on how the sports landscape looks. And it's not necessarily that they're at opposition with each other. They're just different. And I think that's one of the things that's going to give our podcast, you know, some serious weight is the fact that you're not just getting, you know, two guys in the same age, same color, same look, telling you pretty much the same thing back in one another. We're going to have some moments where I'm going to say something and Quine's going to be like, bruh, check yourself. That ain't how this is going to go. And I'm going to be like, sister girl, you need to check yourself because this is how it is going to go. And we're going to have that kind of back and forth because that's, that's kind of what we do. Uh, one of the things her and I, we talked about is that, you know, a lot of the conversations that you'll see us having on camera, our conversations that we've had in the studios when we were working together. And I think it's great that we're going to allow people to kind of see some of those conversations and have those conversations amplified. Uh, that's I'm excited about this. I really am. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm working with somebody that I, I, I really believe in and someone that is, does not see things exactly how I do. And we don't have enough of that in this world, Sergio. I ain't going to go too political on you and everything, but we don't have enough people who can agree to disagree in this world. And I think it always makes for engaging conversations when you got two people who, at the end of the day, are cool with each other, but in the midst of beginning sunrise to sunset, they're going to scrap. One of, the, one of the stories that I want to let people know about is part of, you know, your family. And one of the, the so whenever I see you, it always comes across when I talk to you. I always think about the days when, you know, you're a married man. And there were a couple of times where we talked about, I said, yo, man, let's go to this party. And your line to me was, it ain't worth it. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that because you talk about your wife. You know, man, I could go. Can you give, I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. I mean, there are times where we could go to certain places and there it would be events that are open for public. But sometimes you find yourself you're not necessarily looking for trouble, but, you know, troubles in that room. So you either roll the dice, find yourself in a, in a sticky spot because you put yourself there or you'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm okay. I, I, I love that part when I, I used to challenge you. Yeah, when you, you're going to go. Yes, used to be the bad one on the yeah. right side. Be like, hey, Sharad, let's go to this place. And I'm like, Cedric? It ain't. I'm listening to the I, gift I love that line. You tell me, it ain't worth it. It's I got to go home. It ain't worth it. Now, you, you, you had a great relationship that you're going to bring some of the stuff that you, when you cover uh, the bad boys, the Pistons. Yes. Your relationship, someone with Ricky Mahorn and those guys in that area some new insight because now we're, especially with the day of COVID, we're starting to live through the past and, you know, mm -hmm. the big dance, uh, the last dance with, with mm -hmm. Michael was such a huge thing that happened. The Pistons were right in the middle or at the end of the beginning or the ending of where Michael started. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, I, I was uh, around that team at a time when they were at the pinnacle of NBA greatness, uh, and, and so there are lots of stories that, you know, I, I have 
stored away. I mean, like when, when I was there, when they won the title in, in 2004 with Rip Hamilton and Chauncey Billups and all those guys, and there were little things that they did that people didn't realize played a role in them winning a title. Uh, things like Larry Brown, for example, the first play of every single game, if they win the jump ball, was get that damn ball to Ben Wallace and let him go to work. Because Big Fella knew he wasn't touching the rock much at all, if at all, after that. So they made a point of getting him the ball first possession every single time they got the ball in offense, and they just cleared out and let him go to work. And if he scored, great. If he didn't, we gave you a shot. It's little things like that that help them build team chemistry and bonding and trust, knowing that he ain't going to get you 25, 30 points. But if you don't throw the big fella bone, he's going to get you 15 rebounds. I, I don't I don't know any other brothers in my time that I can think of that had developed that kind of chemistry. And I was on championship teams. We liked mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. But with those – it's like those dudes were like blood brothers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like the way they, they – the way they perform, it was like – Bad boys, and you hear they're bad boys for life, like that movie. That's it just seemed like the way they work. It is, it is, and and it started with the Isaiah Thomases and the Joe Dumars, and it carried on with the Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton's, Ben Wallace's, Rasheed Wallace. Who, again, you are not going to get me to crap on Rasheed Wallace. You will not get that to happen. There and he that's another guy that there's there's tons of stories. And you see about the technicals and you hear about the fouls, but what you don't realize is this brother is knowledgeable on NASCAR. I know this because we literally had a conversation about NASCAR. Uh, and needless to say, mind-blowing. But when you talk about the Celtics, you know, I, I think about Rajon Rondo, uh, a guy that is very polarizing. But when I think about like my memories of Rondo, I remember sitting in the locker room and it was like maybe five of us. And we were talking about the All-Star game. And we were having a very candid conversation about who should be in and who should be out. And Rondo let it be known who he thought should be in. You know what the difference was between that and conversations now, other than the COVID thing? Rondo was in a place where he knew that conversation wasn't going nowhere. He knew we weren't going to dime him out. He knew we weren't going to say, oh, Rondo said that so-and-so shouldn't be an All-Star. You don't get that comfort level anymore. It's going to be hard for these young cats in like 10, 15, 20 years to have stories because all their stories are going to be on Zoom. And I'm going to be like, well, damn, I was there for that conversation. So what are you telling me that I don't know? Uh, That's what this podcast is going to be bringing forth to light, bringing some of those conversations that have had, have been had, have occurred that are really cool stories that didn't make their way on the Twitter. They didn't well, find a home in, in, in social media. They were just conversations that were really good, really wholesome, and really said a lot about those individuals that you you might look at them a little bit differently. Well, tell me something about this current Celtic team or the last couple of years you've had them. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with this Brad Stevens could have maybe wasn't their first choice or for the coach. That's, that is really cool. But tell me some of the insight that you saw with the team going forth now with the Jason Tatum's and and in particular Kyrie Irving you know what Kyrie is a hard one for me because I it's like there's so many things about him that I genuinely like let me ask you this are you a pawn I mean that's what Kyrie said Kyrie said I don't talk to pawns I don't don't do that (laughs) I don't play I don't play chess so I guess I'm not a pawn I don't play the game of chess I, I guess I I guess I'm not but the thing about there's so many things that he says that I, I, I really agree with, but no, it's, he can't help himself, but take it that one step too far 
And it's just like, I got to back. I got to back. It's to me, it's like having that guy at the poker table that is doing a really good job. You're like, man, he's really playing his hands well. And then just when you're really ready to compliment him, he's going to go all in and got, ain't got a damn number <laughs> red in his hand. Ain't got a high card to first. You think like, you went all in for that? <laughs> you went all with that hand to play? So he's a, he's a tough one. But the, the thing about Kyrie and the thing about the Celtics that I'm thinking more and more about, and you, I think, have some perspective on this. I think there's a difference between establishing a winning culture and establishing a championship winning culture. I think the Celtics have a winning culture. I'm not convinced it's a championship winning culture because when I look at the teams that are winning championships, there are things that they're doing that Boston is not. There are players that they are, they're attracting. Boston is not. And maybe most important, said players they're able to retain that Boston cannot. When you, there used to be the issue where Boston, the Celtics could not get any superstars to come here. Now they can't get anyone to stay. It's a, it's a problem that I think is going to keep them at least a layer or two from being a championship winning culture. Look at the Patriots. I mean, granted, this year's a down year, obviously. But when you look at the guys that kind of rolled through here before, guys like Randy Moss, guys like, uh, you know, you, you start look, going down the list of guys who were here for a hot minute, did the damn thing, and bounced. That's what championship winning cultures can bring. But did, didn't this Jason Tatum signing, did that not squash some of that noise about – not retaining and keeping your star players, no, and, and, and Brown, no, no, because because those they don't know any different. Mm-hmm. It's not like they had something to compare their experience in Boston to when they were making a decision where the real. When you're Al Horford, you've had Boston, you've had Atlanta. The money was an issue, we know that, and he got his money, and now he's you know he's in Oklahoma City trying to do what he does. Kyrie Irving was in Cleveland. In Boston, he had a choice. He, he had he had different options as far as his experience was concerned. Gordon Hayward was in Utah, was in Boston. He had something to compare his experience in Boston to. All of them did. And ultimately, they decided that they were better off going somewhere else than staying put in Boston. Well, with the two guys you talk about, when you talk about Al and you're talking about Gordon, mm-hmm. to me, it was just about the money. It was about the money. It wasn't about the culture. Other than the fact that I do believe in Gordon's case, that Gordon looked at himself and that you could hear it with his wife, he became maybe a fifth and maybe sixth player option. And I think that bothered him. Yeah. Uh, but with Kyrie, the uniqueness of that situation is what makes Kyrie happy. And right. it's almost to the point where I believe the Celtics, to a degree, I looked at some of the things that are said right now about James Harden. I don't think the Celtics were that bad. Right. But they talk about James Harden saying, well, we get in, in a, a town and I want to stay overnight. And they would change their plane schedule or they would do different things. Even there were things heard about Kyrie is like when balls had to be signed for underprivileged kids, Kyrie said, well, I'm just not interested. And it wasn't yeah. like he was pissed off at anybody. But I think sometimes you give players that you want to keep so much leeway that they kind of you. It's almost like a kid. You're only going to give your son so much leeway. Right. And then you go, okay, I'm dad. You're the son. We're going to do it the way I want it. So I, I, that's the way I felt about those situations. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking a little bit about what I, what I like to call the Richie Rich syndrome. Uh, where you treat them as if 
They got all the keys to the palace. They got all, they should get whatever they want. And when you're bringing someone into your culture who has that kind of mindset, problems are going to happen. I mean, I, I, when I think back to, to when Kyrie was here, I mean, Kyrie and, and Jalen Brown are cool with each other. They have, they, they don't have any like, like angst or anything like that, but there was tension, undeniable tension when they were teammates and no one. And, and the thing about Jalen, and, and I, I respect the hell out of him for this. He was one of the few, hell, I'd even say the only one that would publicly push back on some of the nonsense that Kyrie was speaking. You know, when Kyrie was talking about the young guys, there was only one of those young guys who was flapping his gums and saying, well, you know what? It ain't just young guys that need to step their game. It's not just young guys that need to be held accountable. And that's why, to me, I'm rocking and rolling with Jalen Brown forever. That's my dog for life. I'm rolling because you know he's so- and, and I am like you with that. What he's done on the court, how we've watched him develop, and what he's done off the court makes him the captain of this team mm-hmm. because he has shown a, a, a way he's grown as a basketball player, mm-hmm. not afraid to take the big shots mm-hmm. in the big moment. And in a way, I feel like, you know, he, the, the worst thing about it is he's always going to be second tier because right. It's always going to be Jason Tatum's team. Mm-hmm. But is he smart enough to utilize that and understand that for his benefit and the team's benefit? Yeah, and for him speaking out the way he did from time to time, which, um, you know, in response to some of the stuff Kyrie said, that was a huge, huge gamble on his part. Because let's be real, Cedric, it's not like we haven't seen – a role player speak out against the star player, and then that role player disappears. Craig Hodges, hello. Bye-bye. <laughs> exactly. Drive, drive safely. Bye-bye. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, the fact that he had he was brave enough to speak out, bold enough to say what he said, and back it up by steady progression on and off the court, I'm rocking with Jalen for life, man. I have um, – I've always done this with everybody. And um, – I found last time I asked this for Kari Sellers and from Kari Sellers. That was a great podcast, by the way. I, I did I, I did not know that the Cedric Maxwell reach extended into politics with Bukari. That was a hell of a podcast. Well, I, I, I try to be diversified with some of the things I did, but one of the questions I asked him, he ended up taking that question to President Obama and asking, and we got virtually the same same kind of response. So I'll ask you the question. Give me your Mount Rushmore of sports. Ooh. And you can't, you can't be wrong. You got four people that you're taking anytime, different sports, same sports. Wow. I don't care from the truck, wherever it is, but give me your Mount Rushmore of sports. I would say Jesse Owens. Okay. I would say Bill Russell. I would say um, Venus Williams. Okay. And my fourth member would be. It's always that four. Yeah, you know what? I I I gotta go. I gotta go. Tom Brady. Okay. I gotta go. Tom Brady. Now I I just want to ask you. There's a, there, and you're not wrong, but I, and, and you really don't have to qualify. But I still have to ask you, why Venus and not Serena? Because I I took Serena over Venus. So 
could you just tell me the difference between the two and why you picked that one over the other? Because I, I think Serena benefited heavily from the battles fought by Venus. Even though they were kind of in the same period of time, Venus was the one who starred took off first venus was the one that was dealing with a lot of the criticism and second guessing and and a lot of the racism that serena dealt with to a certain extent but venus had to deal with that first and because she dealt with it first i thought it helped serena better handle it when she had to go through some of those issues and now if you're talking about who was the better tennis player serena hands down well you will not get any pushback from me on that but in terms of being an elite difference making game-changing athlete I'm convinced that if it wasn't for Venus, Serena would not have been able to extend the way she has. And Naomi, who is just killing it, I mean, killing it uh, in the tennis game right now, would not be where she's at. And to me, Venus, Venus is the blueprint that they followed and tweaked to their own game and modifications to where they're all great. But Venus, to me, I'm, I got to rock with her. Wow. That, that is such an interesting take on some of the people – you've had and some of the people that you actually left out i'll give you my list and okay. again you're not wrong but i'm just giving you my list it was muhammad ali yes tiger woods yep uh and i went with i went with serena williams mm. and i went with michael jordan and, yeah. and those were those were the were mine because i just felt like i, I looked at ali what he did Tiger Woods gave the masses, the masses who had never even thought about golf mm -hmm. being cool, an opportunity to show a whole nother light to young black kids who had never played before. And I, I just thought that was just something that really struck me during my time. Yeah, Muhammad was a tough one to leave off. He said about Jesse Owens, he had to fight. He was he was fighting Hitler. And he was, fight, he was fighting... He was fighting a whole Nazi regime. I just think right. that was, I mean, that would have been just like Joe Lewis, another one. Just so many great ones that you have that uh, just defy, you know, time or who they are. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. You can get in on the action right now. The season opening bonuses is the best way to start you off. Wagering on win, division, and championship futures today. Head to BetOnline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and, and, and that's the, the cool thing about having Mount Rushmore is that, to your point, you, you can't really screw that up. Um, everyone that you mentioned would easily uh, is deserving of being there. Muhammad was a tough one for me to leave off because I've always respected uh, the position that he took. I mean, just to give you a little background about me, my dad was in the Army for 25 years. Uh, I come from a long line of military folks. At one point when I was in high school, I was seriously thinking about West Point. Uh, West Point had actually started reaching out to me back when I was in eighth grade to see if I was interested in, in attending there. So I've always had this deep amount of respect for the military. But the one thing that people, I think, lose sight of when they talk about Muhammad Ali is that what he was doing was expressing himself and what he wanted to do and, and not be involved in a war that he just didn't believe in. 
And when you look at our country and the foundation for which it's is built upon, having that freedom of expression is something that we tend to take for granted. And Muhammad Ali, whether you agree or disagree with him, was willing to fight that battle. And ultimately, he was deemed to be someone whose fight was worth it. And it's funny how at the in that moment, people was hating on him left and right. But yep. over time, they accepted him. And Kaepernick, hating on him in that moment when he's kneeling. And now you got you got the damn commissioner coming out saying, all Black Lives Matter. Didn't matter, didn't matter August 26, 2016, but they matter today. To me, those are the people that when I think about leadership and I think about lifetime difference makers, people who just move the needle in a way that the needle will never be moved before, those are the ones that I have the utmost respect for. The ones who stood in, this, in the middle of the storm and did not budge. When everyone else is flying around, running, getting behind them, getting in front of them, go to the, they just stand like, this is my position, I ain't budging. Boom. Much I respect. This year, 2020, has been, I guess, in, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, the most unique, the most challenging, the most emotional. The, what did you get out of 2020? You know, Black Lives Matter, Kobe Bryant dying. It's just like you, you, you go to a month and you pick a day and boom, you, you got some uh, instant, well, not a classic, but just something that is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, this year has been like any other because the one thing that I, I really appreciated was just how um, there really seemed to be, and, and I, I did a webinar series on this earlier called Innovation in Isolation, just looking at how people are changing, modifying what they're doing in this, you know, this period of separation, social distancing and all that. And I look at people who, for example, could make masks in their, ba in, in their kitchen. And now all of a sudden they're like multimillionaires. I, I look at, you know, groups and, 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 and people coming together in ways they've never came before. I remember like, for example, when they, when they were protesting in Boston and I, I was there with Marcus Smart and we're, him and I were walking, you know, up, you know, just up and down the streets together. And we, at one point, there must've been like, maybe, I don't know, 17, 18 white people just went past us, And we both had this look like, damn. This is, a, it's a fight that the fight that they're in now is one that we're used to being in. And when I say us, I mean like black folks. The protests amplified, this is not just our fight anymore. And I don't know if that same energy is present at this very moment, but there was a point in this summer when it was a fight that black, white, Native American, Latino, it, it, there was this, this, there was this universal collection of energies coming together in a way I'd never seen before. And it's just in my experience, white folks are kind of the last ones to show up to these kind of parties. And yet here me and Marcus are walking up and down and we go past like 17, 18 white people. And we just have this look at just like, did that just happen? That was like, that's when I think about 2020, that's one of my big takeaways is that there was at one point, a unification of people that we had not seen in a long time. And I, I just pray that we can continue along those lines. I love the fact that players help owners a little bit more accountable, getting them to move the needle in ways that they probably didn't want to. I mean, I don't think owners wanted to open up their arenas for polling places, but the players push for that. 
and they got that. Uh, I'm pretty sure the owners didn't want to commit all those millions and millions of dollars to all these different organizations and groups, but the players pushed for that and they got that. So I, I just hope that same energy we saw in the bubble can transfer itself outside because you know one of the things and I thought I thought Mark Spears who's on our, our first uh, A-list podcast he made a great point I just hope that that energy in a bubble doesn't burst uh, that's what I'm hopeful for so hmm. I, I, I find that to be very unique because I was born in 1955 so the, the time that I look at that you're talking about that seems like it's almost in a mirror is the mm-hmm. 60s because you had those same people marching for civil rights. You had all these people, you had Jewish people and black people and in Native Americans and down the line all together. Now, push forward to now 2020, I'm starting to see that same coalition kind of come back together, which to me is so unique in the craziest way. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and that's, you know, I, you know, my, my mom was born around the same time as you. And that's one of the things that she was telling me about. Oh, that hurt. Oh, damn, that hurt. Damn, that hurt me then when you said that. Your mom oh, she was young. She was a young woman. She was a young woman when I came into the world. Young woman. Young woman. Just like you're a young man. You're on right now. <laughs> but it, it is true when you think about those times of being and, and, and you do you remember a time when you, I just think that you, we've all had this as black men, when you looked at yourself and said, damn, I'm black. And it just came to you just like, and you, you, you're in a room and you and I encounter, you know, very similar environment, the fact that we're here in Boston. And I've been here for my broadcasting career. This is my 25th or 26th year. And for my side of it, being an analyst, I've seen very few people that look like me. Mm-hmm. You as a writer, you've seen very few people who look like you and all have a different opinion. Did that strike you in that way? You know what? It, it, it didn't because when I was in Detroit before I came here, I would come to Boston a couple times a year. And other than you, Willie May, I really didn't see any. <laughs> Any, any any black people in in any way shape or form involved with the media and so that that was what i went into this eyes wide open expecting uh i came here uh expecting things to be so much worse than they were and the the one thing that i, I tell people you know about my experience in boston is that you have to have the ability to discern between the community of boston and the boston celtics uh when you're talking about diversity because the two are not one and the same uh, when you look at the Celtics from a historical standpoint, uh, when you talk about diversity, it is not anywhere close. It's a complete 180 degree difference between them and the community of New England, which has not always been as open minded and forthcoming to people of color as the Celtics as an organization, for the most part, have been. Now, can they be better? Absolutely. And they know this. Uh, and the Celtics can be better. The community can be better without question. But the hits that the Celtics as an organization takes from the outside when it comes to diversity. I just think a lot of that is unfounded. Uh, and it's, it, frankly, it's just wrong. Yeah. I, I, and I've heard that from fellow players before, or I had a podcast and did it with James Worthy. And, and that's what he and I were talking about is like that racist ass Boston. He said, I had an uncle who was there. I was a big Celtic fan, da, da, da. but 
as I tell people, I said, Boston does not have a monopoly on racism. Right. As some people like, oh, my God, you're from Boston. Oh, my God. They said, some of the worst things have happened to me, not in Boston, but in L.A. When I was right. living in that, when I played for the uh, Clippers at Clippers, the time. Yeah. So you, you see all these different things in your life. And Boston isn't that damn bad or, or comparably so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like for me, as someone who I, I lived in the South, lived in the Midwest. And as far as race issues are concerned, Boston of those three places was at the bottom of the, of the, of the, the pecking order in terms of problems, uh, because I think part of that has to do with my job. Uh, I, I think that when people see you in a certain position, they look at you a certain way. And for us, I think that's that's been a positive. When I was in the Midwest covering the Pistons, I mean, look, Detroit is just grimy and gritty. And I love that about Detroit. Detroit's black, though. That's all you see. Exactly. And, 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 and so and be, because of that, it's just like, well, you may be doing this, that, and the other, but, yo, you black, and so am I. So I'm just going to – you ain't getting no different treatment than anyone else. And I respected that. Uh, I did. Now, in the South – Different story. A uh, few times I had to check folks and, you know, it, it let's put it this way. There were, I, I'm just glad that there were enough people in the presence to intervene because, you know, back then young Sherrod wasn't nearly as cool, calm and collected as the brother that you see right now. That dude was, was about that life. If you put, if you push that button, because mm-hmm. remember I grew up in upstate New York and, you know, everyone was treated like everyone should be treated, had no issues. From there to the south, like yeah. it's a different story. And and you and you know, and Cedric being from North Carolina, which is where I was at, you already know. I, I ain't gotta I, tell you. I always say when I always had this joke that uh that we're when we're with the Celtics and a couple of white guys were there who worked in the office, and I said, one of the lines you'd always get from a white guy here was, You wanna go? You want to go? Let's fucking go. Let's go. And he do it saying like that. You'd be like, oh, hell. You know it's only popular when the guy goes like, you want to go. Nobody else says that any place or around where you see a brother like, let's go. Let's go where? But just like, We're going to the mall, get a sandwich, get a milkshake, get, get some lobster. What are we going to do? I um I, I found this, this conversation with you to be so fascinating in the fact that who we are, where we've been, and where we're going and the network with the whole thing with the podcast to me is such a way to for me it is almost like therapy because I'm able to get some stuff out that I haven't been able to get out I told somebody a story and 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 you would have to be the one that would back this up I was telling you the story one time how ESPN called me you might remember this and ESPN wanted to do a story with me for Black History Month, during Black History Month, of the legend of the leprechaun. Oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said that at the top, they said the leprechaun might have been a monkey that, was, that, that escaped from the circus that people saw. And they were sending their truck to Boston to interview me. And I told you this, sir, and I said, you know what? It was a black dude that called me. I said, dude, you might want to check your sources or check the guy who sent you. And you're like, yeah, I know that dude. I was like, really? That's That was how crazy they were. I remember you just looking at me like, are you serious? Yes. 
and I this remember. happened and this happened no more than about five years ago. Yeah, I, I remember I remember you telling me about that. And it took me a minute to marinate on what you said. Cause it didn't really I'm like, no, he didn't say something about no damn leprechaun monkey. <laughs> I'm just. This must be like one of them weird out of body things where I'm in a press room right now, but I'm daydreaming about some nonsense that ain't happening. Let me snap out of it. But you was right. You was real. That was real. Again, it. This is the thing that that I, I I talked to a lot of people about is that when you are looking at diversity, diversity can't just be a color thing or gender thing. Uh, it has to also encompass an ideological thing. Diversity of thought is something that we don't think enough about. Mm -hmm. And just because you a certain skin color or a certain gender doesn't mean you don't, you have an understanding of issues that people of that color or people of that gender are dealing with. Like to me, anytime you make any reference to doing something journalistically speaking that involves people of color and a monkey, you might want to rethink what you're trying to do. It, to oh. me, it's it's right up it's right up there with drawing analogies with between individuals and Hitler. You just stay it to me. That's the third rail of discussion. You don't touch it because more times than not, it's gonna blow up in your face and you're gonna get in more trouble. And it's just bad for business. Yeah, I um by now show me your that emblem you have on your shirt again one more time. All right, at this school right now, be you. Don't you put us on blast. No, I'm going to put you on blast <laughs> because you are a, you are teaching a class there. Mm -hmm. So for them to see a professor of color must already be a shock of to their system because I'm sure there are not as many people of color on that faculty. Although I know that's where Martin Luther King ended up doing right. his seminary work at right. BU. But how do you feel about that? When you well, think about yourself being that authoritative figure when it comes to giving out a grade and people looking at you, you know, as, as that person of color. Well, the, the one thing that I, I'll say just uh, right off the top is uh, the class that I'm teaching used to be taught by Michael Holly. And okay. so they're used to having, but here's the, even with that being said, you have to think about how can you level up the experience for them whether it's Michael Holly or whoever taught it before me. And the one thing that I did with my students this last semester is I needed them to understand that the world journalistically that they're going into is going to be more diverse than what they might understand. And so we had speakers who were black. We had speakers who were Asian Americans. We had speakers who were white females. We had, I had like 11 speakers and all, but I only had two white males. Everyone else was either person of color or female. And that's how I want it. I, I think that they need to understand. I, To me, that point, if they only took one thing out of my class, it would be that you are going into a world that will be very diverse. And the sooner you understand that, the better off you're going to be. And the only way I can get you to understand that is for me to bring in Asian Americans on camera, Black women who are producers, uh, you know, other women who are doing podcasts in sports specifically. Uh, you know, and, and just making their experience one that you come away feel like feeling as though, oh, I guess everyone ain't going to be like me. So, yeah, so you're saying really this is the, the, the good old boy network is starting to die. I know it's still there, but it's starting oh. to die down. Well, 
I will not let it live on. Let's put it that way. I can't say if it's dying down, but I'm doing my part to give it a heart attack and put it in the hospital and put it away for good because it it, it doesn't align with what we are and who we are as a country. I mean, and again, no one to get on a political soapbox too much, but if we're a country that was founded on diverse personalities and thoughts and and, and just this melting pot, I, I, I remember hearing that a lot when I was a kid, melting pot, America, melting. And all of a sudden we're not so much. I, I think we need, if you talk about, you know, wanting us to be the best that we can be as a nation, we have to understand that not all of us are going to be the same, that you have to have lanes in which people can navigate that aren't necessarily lanes that look like you not, not every listen not every not everyone's going to drive the same you know four-door sedan uh some are going to be a little more rickety than others some are going to be better than that we have to embrace and appreciate each other and we don't do enough of that and in journalism let's just keep it real there's not enough people of color in boston and again to me it goes back to what you were saying earlier uh boston when it comes to race racism boston does not have you know, proprietary rights on that. The keys to the city. Right. No. no, but when it comes to diversity or lack of diversity, Boston doesn't have proprietary rights on that either. And so what I'm trying to do is, is do whatever I can to enhance that, uh, to, to bring about diversity, not only in terms of diversity, in terms of people, but in diversity of thought. Uh, you know, I, I'm with the National Association of Black Journalists Sports Task Force. I'm the chairman of that. And one of my big things is trying to create as many lanes of diversity within our group. That's why I work with the LGBTQ community. That's why I work with inclusion and, and, and equity and, and all these different groups. And I work with, you know, folks who don't look like me. And I'm okay with that because guess what? I know what it's like to be in that room when no one looks like you or thinks like you. It's, well, it kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, it is. Last question I'll ask you, and uh, you know, this is kind of one that, that you can go anywhere with, but talk about LeBron James <laughs> and just what he's been about the first, I, I want to say, superstar in a cultural age of, uh, of, of media and the things that you see him and people who have attacked him and what he's done. Just give you give us a spill on who he is and 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 how you view him going into this next millennium. You know the thing about LeBron James and, and I having my initial interaction with him when I was in Detroit and he was in Cleveland. The evolution that he's gone through is phenomenal. Uh, let me tell you a quick story about my first LeBron James interaction. This was like his uh, I think it was his rookie season, and Paul Silas was the head coach and. LeBron, you know, was kind of like most of kind of what you'd expect an 18 year old superstar. I'm running a show. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. They had a morning shoot around and the only person from the media that was there was me. And so Paul Silas comes up to me and says, uh, you know, you want anyone you want to talk to? I was like, I'd like to talk to the young fella for a little bit. So he goes over to LeBron, says this guy wants to talk to you. LeBron don't want to talk. Don't want to talk. He's ready to go back to the hotel or whatever the hell he's doing. Paul is not having that. Paul says, you're going to talk to him. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get into Paul's exact words, but it, it's something to the effect that he has a job to do. He's trying to do his job. He's not going to keep you long. Get his man five minutes so he can do his job. And it was one of the worst interviews I've ever had because LeBron was in that kind of three words, 
four word, five word responses. And then about maybe after two and a half, three minutes, he started giving me something a little bit more. And he was, and it, 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 he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. And I just remember it wasn't too long after that, that Paul got fired. <laughs> <laughs> the lead in here's the lead in to this you don't tell LeBron what to do okay or who to speak to and guess what he got fired and I bring that full circle because that to me was LeBron at just a, a very immature stage of his growth and development and to see where he's at now where he is putting so many others ahead of himself. And I'm talking not off the court. I'm talking about just his work with schools, uh, his work with just being more engaged politically speaking. And obviously what he does on the floor, he's just phenomenal. He's the greatest player of this generation. But for me, I look at him a little bit different than most people because I look, I think back to that moment when he gave me that real, I'm going to talk to you, but only because my coach at the moment is telling me to do this and see where he's at now. I'm, 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 I'm blown away by how much he's grown because from that initial impression, I thought this guy was going to be a jerk and a straight up a-hole for his entire NBA career. And LeBron, you can say a lot of things about him, but LeBron, the man, the leader, the philanthropist, I mean, I'm, I'm all on board with that. He's, he's been phenomenal for the league and, and, and for, you know, frankly, for black men, really, as far as role models. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a do and, and say thank you for being on my podcast. And this is Aisha Rod Lakely, who's with me and has his own podcast. So all my listeners and all my viewers, uh, you know, I want you to go in because I'm going to go in because I want to hear this Brad Stevens story about Brad might not have been the choice or if he was, who was the second guy? So I can't wait to hear that information. You don't have to let it out, brother. You don't have to get. You have to give me a clue, like a bro. Yo, man, come on, man. Let me in on a little let me bit. Put this in the I'm, chat. I'm, I'm let it go. <laughs> so, so thank you again for coming on with me. I appreciate it. No problem, sir. A list podcast. A Rob Blakely, Quanny, A Lunis. All apps. All your podcasting apps. We are there. Thank you, my man.